Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the Forum Club, Lakers podcast from The Athletic. I am Bill Orem, joined by a very special guest this week. You may know him from TikTok, from Spectrum Sportsnet's Access Sportsnet programming, or maybe just from listening to this podcast every week. It's Jovan Buha! <laughs> I like that Jovan, intro. what's going on, man? How's it going? I'm good. I've had some coffee today, apparently, if you can't tell. <laughs> so I'm I ready like it's a to break this intro. down. It, it's it's more spirit than uh we, we can say the Lakers have shown this week. Wow, we're going there. We're going there from the very very beginning. I thought we were going to we start are. about. I thought we were going to start with you um, still playing along with this facade that they had a chance this season and that there's a way for them to still be contenders and that there's an ideal or optimal rotation with this bunch of sorry players. But no, you're not. You're not going there. <laughs> No, I'm, I'm kidding. Yovan, you did have a story today uh, up at The Athletic, of course, about um, what you see as the the optimal rotation. And I am of the mind that that is um, a little bit of a rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic sort of situation. But because you took the time to break it down and, and offer your analysis, can we uh, go through it real quick? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, th- this is something that I had had uh, <laughs> in the works before. They, uh, things went off the rails even more with, with the Spurs and, and Rockets losses. But um, yeah, they left I, the rails I, behind. Like I mean, yeah, th- there's in, no more rails. January. Uh, I mean, they've just been careening <laughs> off a mountainside, like you know, going down a ravine and then you know, then catching the river. I mean, the rails are a hundred miles away at this point. I mean, I, I feel like we've said rock bottom like every week, but to me, I mean, the the easiest remaining games on the, on their schedule, arguably, were well, I, I don't know if San Antonio. I mean. San Antonio is in the mix for that, right? And obviously Houston is one of the worst teams in the league and, and, you know, the worst team in the West. So I just thought losing those two games, you know, particularly was like very uh, discouraging. But um, I, yeah, I, I thought it would be an interesting exercise, uh, you know, thought exercise of let's assume things uh, go okay the rest of the season, which is is probably uh, foolish and Anthony Davis comes back, LeBron stays healthy, and no other rotation players get injured, what does a eight to nine man playoff rotation, you know, play in rotation look like for this group? Uh, and I came up with uh, a new starting lineup that has not, that is not, this lineup has not appeared in any of NBA.com's uh, you know, they, they've got their five pages of lineup data. So this would be a, a brand new lineup that we haven't seen, which is AD, LeBron, Austin Reeves, Malik Monk, and Russ. And it was surprising that we have not seen that lineup. I, I thought we'd maybe see it off the bench or, or closing some games, but that is a new group. Uh, so that was the starting lineup I settled on. I, I think that, you know, I, you assume, uh, I mean, obviously LeBron and AD are going to start, but I, I don't. I think for now, Russ is, is still in the starting lineup and, and, until proven, you know, and, until Frank benches him. Uh, and then looking at those two wing spots, Austin and Malik, I think have, have 
really kind of filled that void of like the, the, the third and fourth best players at times this season. And um, I, I think just make a lot of sense right now for the, those starting wing spots. And then for me off the bench, it was Mello, Talon, and um, I, I would kind of struggled with, with the last couple spots, uh, but ended up going Stanley Frank Johnson. And then uh, I think you could, for the ninth spot, you could have some utility of Avery Bradley or Dwight Howard, depending on the matchup. But I think th- those are the eight guys I'd probably roll with. Um, so no Kent Bazemore, no Wayne Ellington, no Trevor Ariza. And most nights I'd say no Dwight Howard, unless it's a matchup that they really need another center. But I think it's, it's going small ball for 48 minutes. It's LeBron and AD at center for, for the full 48. And then you're going with just, you know, Stanley and, and the, the wings and, and guards around them. And I think that it, it's tough to build out a rotation because I don't think there's eight guys you can get to that you really trust. But those, I think, kind of based on the lineup data and looking at Frank's preferences, I think that was kind of the eight and a half guys I settled on. The Lakers have only had Russell Westbrook, Anthony Davis, and LeBron James on the floor for, I believe, 18 games this year. Um, they're right around 500. They might be 10 and 8. They're either 9 and 9 I think or 10 they're 10 and 8. But so, yeah. you know, obviously light years from where they are now, uh, nine games under 500. But let's say they get Anthony Davis back um, with a handful of games left in the regular season. Let's say eight games left in the regular season. I'm not even looking at a calendar. I don't know where that would be. And they have AD Russ LeBron. That is, in theory, the best case scenario. And that is the thing that the Lakers have held on to is get healthy. Maybe Kendrick Nunn comes back and that adds a you know a, a different dimension, a different potential weapon. You know, that it's gonna be hard to integrate him coming off of a, a six-month injury, but you know, maybe he's a guy who comes in and does establish himself as a guy who needs to be in the rotation. Maybe he plays ahead of um Taylor Horton Tucker, who's been who's been um really spotty this year. This that's sort of what the Lakers see as their path, right? And it's it's a difficult path because you are going to have to win. It looks like two play-in games, and then you go probably to Phoenix in the first round. That is not an easy path, but at the same time, you know if you're the Lakers with LeBron, AD, and Russ, you figure you're going to have to play the Suns at some point. What my question is, and what I wonder, because I've thrown in, you know, I've I've closed the book on this team. I have zero confidence in them doing any of the things I just described, but. You know, I try to intellectually at least understand where the hope is. And what, though, do you think, you know, because the bottom of the West is, is bad and San Antonio um, doesn't appear. I mean, I know it's hard because they just beat the Lakers, but, you know, they're still three and a half games behind the Lakers as of this taping. Um, I, I just wonder if what is it going to do to the Lakers mentally? Let's say the Lakers are 11, 12 games under 500 by the time the, the, the play in gets here. They've only had LeBron. AD and Russ on the floor for a few games at that point. You know, this team's belief appears to be shattered. James Worthy said it the other night, and I relayed that to Carmelo Anthony, and he basically said, I don't necessarily disagree with him. Um, I just wonder, can can they flip a switch when they've been a losing team? Like, a severe losing team for January, to February, March. Can they flip a switch with six games left or whatever it is and become a winning team or even a competent team over those last few games as they, um, you know, as they try to make this push that they've been waiting for all year? When they've said, oh, we can be one of those teams that gets hot and we can um, we can catch fire at the right time. Can a team adjust like that? I don't know that we've seen a team really do it in in, in a in a meaningful way like that. Mm, I don't think so. Um I'm with you in that I, I'm probably I, I've, I've probably given up on this team. I, I think the best 
case scenario realistically now, and it might not even be realistic, but I, I think it's it's potentially real. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm selling it to myself, but I, I like I think the best case scenario is, is they win the two play in games and they give Phoenix a hard six game series. Um, and that's like, you know, you, you pat yourselves on the back of this is the team that just made the finals and beat us last year. And, um, you know, maybe you even push it to like seven and like the absolute like LeBron and 80 are the two best players in the series. And, and that's kind of like and, and that's that's why it, it's so tough to evaluate this team, because I do think when you look at a postseason setting, and this is an oversimplification, but I, I would say, you know, at least seven out of 10 times, if not eight the team with the best player always has a chance in the series. Yeah. And we've seen situations where you have that team that's won fifth, you know, I think of that, the the Denver Nuggets teams from, from years past where it was like, they'd always win 50 plus games, but they rarely had the best player in the series. And this is like pre Jokic to be clear. Um, but, but it was like, you know, the, the Gallo and Ty Lawson and even Andre Gudala and like, like those teams, you you felt you could beat them because you probably were going to have the best player in the series as a, a lower seated opponent, and I think and isn't that where Utah's been getting into trouble the last couple of years? And, too? and that's where yeah, and and I think I feel like the Lakers, you know, for as as good as Chris Paul and Devin Booker are, uh, I would still take LeBron James comfortably over either player, and theoretically, like the best version of Anthony Davis, you would still take over either player. So that is where even last season, going back to the two seven matchup, you know, uh, on paper, you would heavily favor the two seed, but the Lakers actually entered that series as the favorites and were still the favorites through game four uh, in part because of LeBron James and Anthony Davis. So I think that's where there's kind of this weird cognitive dissonance of like, for as much as this team has struggled, you still think, it's hard to count out LeBron James. And he, and he had the quote that, that you wrote about with, with, with the 12 feet under. And like, I just still think that LeBron's best. And, and we've seen kernels of it recently with the, the win over the Warriors, the win over the Jazz. And like, it's unfortunate for the Lakers that you, you can really remember uh, the, their impressive wins on like one hand, maybe two. Uh, but that is kind of, I guess, the blueprint of like, the problem to me is that I think Phoenix is is really, really good. And yep. I, I think, you know, t- to me, they're probably the championship favorites right now, uh, assuming Chris Paul comes back healthy. And and look, maybe he's not. And, and maybe Chris Paul doesn't come back. And, and Phoenix is vulnerable. And, and that's the Lakers kind of opening. But even then, you basically, I mean, look, I, I think they're going to get the 10 seed. So I think they're going to have to win two playing games on the road. Then I think they're going to have to, they'd have to go through the playoffs without home court advantage and most likely every series, uh, which would just be unprecedented. So uh, I, I'm with you. I, I think like the, the season's pretty much over at this point um, with the, the, with the way that this team has played, I wouldn't be shocked if they lost in the play-in, uh, right? Like I, I think you can't rule that out, but it does seem like, you know, with the injury to Brandon Ingram over in New Orleans, I, I do feel like the Lakers might be able to hold off the Pelicans. You, know, you watch them lose to the, um, the magic the other night without without Brandon Ingram. It doesn't speak well of, you know, the push New Orleans is going to be able to make over these next seven to ten days that he's out, if that's how long it is. So I guess at this point, I would take the Lakers to still finish ninth. 
But I also still wouldn't rule out the possibility of them sliding all the way out. I mean, there's 16 games left. Is that where we're at? 16, 17, 16? Yeah, 16, uh, uh, seven, 17, 17. 17. I, you know, I think weird things would have to happen. Anthony Davis would have to not come back quickly. Um, but, I mean, they can't beat anybody right now. I mean, you look at the upcoming slate, you know, Washington on Friday, uh, and then it's, you know, Phoenix, and then they go on the road, and Minnesota is a team that's in, in, in seventh and is a potential play-in opponent if the Lakers could win that first game. Um, boy, by the way, how fun are the, the Timberwolves and, and their home crowd right now? Our, our colleague John Krasinski in Minneapolis wrote a great story today about about sort of the way those Timberwolves have, have lifted up the city of Minneapolis. It's a great read, and I, I really recommend it. Uh, but, but you know, that's that's a tough game next week. Then, you know, Washington again. Oh, I left out Toronto. Toronto's a team that's in the playoff mix, or is in the playoffs in the East. Washington is basically, you know, kind of – is better than the Lakers record-wise. And then Cleveland is a, a contender in the East. So, I mean, these are just – you pencil all these in as losses. And – Maybe they go one and three on that road trip, two and two if they're really lucky. Um, but that's not, you know, that's not setting the world on fire by any by any means. No one is getting excited about a team going, you know, one and three. And it's really all about just when Anthony Davis comes back. How much time do they have left to, you know, hold off teams for for ninth and tenth, and and then can they make a push in the play in? And I just feel like we this team's been kicking the can down the road so much this year, and along the way, they've kind of lost their spirit. And there's really been no um, cohesion. And you know, I mean, these are little things, and this is non tangible. But uh, you know, sitting in in a, in the arena in Houston, Toyota Center, the other night, you sit ab- above the tunnel, kind of right behind the the team's bench. And I don't know if it was the last time I was there, but one of the last times I was there was um, was in 2020 before um, the pandemic, and the Lakers had like the most fun bench. I mean, Dwight, JaVale, you know, all those guys you know, were the most like, they were such a, a fun bench mob. There was so much energy on the bench. Those guys loved like supporting each other, getting up, you know, goading the refs from the bench. There was just real, um, you know, chemistry. And there was real, um, I don't know. There, I, I wrote a story that was basically like the Lakers bench is the biggest party in the NBA. And I was, I was kind of transported to that moment on, on uh, on Wednesday, sitting back in the Toyota Center, looking at the Lakers bench and having none of that. And again, it's non tangible. And, and maybe you could say there have been championship teams that you know aren't like that. But I don't really see this team having fun on the court, off the court. And you know, Dan Wakey from the LA Times today uh, included in his newsletter that he's had conversations with people around the team who basically talk about this season as you know, well, there's only a month left. I, I'm with James Worthy. I think this team knows they can't win, and I think they're just kind of playing out the string. You know, they'll try to win the games that are in front of them, but they're not, you know, setting any expectations. You know, we'll win. We'll win if we can. Otherwise, we'll go home. They haven't won consecutive games since early January. And they haven't won on the road since late January in Brooklyn. It's, it's insane. Like, I'm, I'm looking at it now. They were last above 500 uh, January 11th, and then on the 12th, they lost to the Kings, and that brought them to 500. And since then... They've been 500 or worse, uh, but over that stretch, I mean, they're they're seven and 17, and again, no, you know, no consecutive wins, and it's just, yeah. I mean, to to your, to your earlier point, like the the season has gone off the rails, and it, it it is. I think the one thing that they can point to again is that just having LeBron and and AD in theory 
gives you some sort of safety blanket, but they haven't really had that this season. You know, like I, I think, I mean, remember like the beginning of the season or, or I don't know, 20 something games in when AD was like, Oh, we're, we're we need, you know, we just need to rip off a, a 10 game win streak of 15. Like we haven't seen this team ever play consistently. And, and, and that, that, and that was part of the, the impetus for, for me to write the rotation story of just whenever we see this, you know, whatever rotation we see in the plan and the postseason, if they get there, like it's going to be a, probably a brand new rotation, uh, you know, barring LeBron or 80 going down and then basically having to do what they've done all season. If those two guys are healthy, we are going to be seeing a rotation we have not really seen. And, and that's kind of been the unfortunate thing for them this season is like, I think if they were healthier, they still would have been a disappointment, but I, I think the, the health has compounded with the poor roster fit, uh, you know, just overall, you know, Westbrook's awkward fit, um, and, and the underperformance of a lot of the rotation, like all those things have, have combined to, uh, be the, the mess that, you know, the, the team currently is, but I, I would like to have seen like in an alternate universe, what this team would have done when healthy. Cause I, I think, I think they would have been a playoff team. I, I just, I, I think they weren't going to be what we all thought, which was the West favorites entering the right. season. So I don't know. Um, I, I mean, yeah, I, I look at the upcoming schedule and I mean, you m- mentioned all those games and the next game after that is Philly. And then it's like right. at New Orleans and at Dallas and at Utah and then in New Orleans again. And like, I mean, the, the, like they could go three and 14 the rest of the way. And I wouldn't be like shocked. Uh, with, with their schedule and how brutal it is. I mean, they have the toughest remaining schedule in the league. So, uh, per Tankathon. So I, I think that's definitely in play. And and, and that's where I, I could see maybe New Orleans passing them and, and them being the 10 seed. But I think with, with uh, you know, Ingram injured, CJ McCollum in, in health and safety protocols, uh, I'm with you that they probably hold off New Orleans, but they have to start winning some games. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So counting the Wizards, I guess they have... Because they play the Wizards twice. So I miscounted this. I think in my story the other night, I said they had three games left against teams with losing records. They have five counting the Wizards, but the Wizards have a better record than them. So maybe I didn't say with losing. No, I said I think I said teams with worse records than them. So that is still correct. Three, three games against teams with worse records than them. Um, two of those are New Orleans, who just beat them by, you know, whatever, 300 points. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I just see a lot of losses over these last 17 games. Seven and 10 would be a masterpiece. You know, they've won five of their last 20. So what can they do with 17 when they're just, you know, trending down downward? But one one thing I, I get, and I guess, you know, this might be a little inside baseball, but, you know, might help 
offer a, a ray of hope. Um, we haven't talked to Anthony Davis since his since his injury against the Jazz before the All Star break. Since before his injury, we haven't heard his point of view on what you know went down or how he's feeling or you know any of any of that stuff. Um, and the Lakers told us the other night that he would he would talk to reporters pregame in Phoenix on Sunday. And and listen, you know that stuff tends to get moved around. So if it doesn't happen, you know doesn't mean he's had a setback or anything like that. But that's kind of you know our current hope is that we'll get to hear from AD for the first time since this injury. And, you know, I mean, without yet knowing what he's going to say, perhaps that is, you know, uh, you know, a ray of sunshine that maybe that means he's getting somewhat closer. Because I think we're about a week away from the four week mark that they originally said would be when he'd be reevaluated. I think there was a later report around the All-Star break. After the All-Star break, they maybe be out another four to five weeks. So, I mean, that could be put him another week or two away. Um, But I mean, you know, you hope for good news there. I mean, it was a, you know. It certainly it looked like a worse injury than it ended up being. Both of his injuries this year looked like they could have been, you know, season ending. Um, and, you know, from the Lakers standpoint, maybe this injury to AD already has been. Maybe it was season ending, you know, for, in terms of their title hopes or their, you know, their playoff hopes. But um, getting him back on the floor certainly changes a lot about about this team. But they weren't winning games at a, at a good enough rate when he was healthy. And I just think it's a little... Uh, foolish to think that him coming back, given the makeup of this team and sort of the trajectory of this team, even when he was healthy, is going to make a huge difference. I mean, he makes a huge difference. I'm not, I'm not diminishing his his ability, but just in terms of like what this team's ceiling is, it seems like it's kind of the same with or without AD. Yeah, I, I mean, we just haven't seen it. And I, at some point, you know, I, I think we we both got to the point that it's like, if you're not going to show it. Like this team should have beat the Spurs and the Rockets. I, I'm like, I, I'm sorry. Well, and, and, okay. Yes. And like, okay, the Spurs, LeBron didn't play. That was a pretty shorthanded Lakers team. Sure. Um, but in Houston, LeBron comes back. You have Russell Westbrook. You know, Taylor Horton Tucker's out with, you know, a little bit of an ankle. Uh, but otherwise, you're pretty close to whole. You've got three, you have four healthy Hall of Famers. Dwight, Carmelo, LeBron, uh, Russ. Um, I just think that you should be able to put your head down and beat a team like Houston. And this is where the question of the Lakers commitment and resolve um, comes into play because Russell Westbrook said, you know, they messed around with the game and, you know, he explained, you know, you know, not playing hard enough defensively, giving up all those points in the first half. But when one of your you know stars, one of your you know, supposed leaders is just, you know, out and out saying, you know, we messed around with the game. It's when, when you need wins, when you need to be doing whatever you can to sort of steady the ship a little bit, you know, you, you kind of play down to the Rockets level and give them a chance to get hot, start to build some confidence. And then that, you know, blows up in your face. Um, so that that's the sort of thing that makes me question the the resolve and uh, commitment of this team. I mean, there's a like baseline level of entitlement with this group that sure. is just really unwarranted. And, and I think like, yes, on an individual level that there are multiple hall of famers and even some of the role players, guys like Trevor Ariza, uh, and, you know, even a Wayne, like, you know, Wayne Ellington, I would say is like an accomplished role player in terms of, um, just, you know, been in the league 10 plus years and, and has been, you know, successful in, in the roles that he's played. But I, I mean, yeah, like the, the, there's a lot of unwarranted entitlement. With, with this group as a whole kind of collectively where it, it just, they, they, and honestly you, you kind of saw it from the beginning of the season. I mean, yep. I thought like the, the preseason w- was weird 
with them, so many guys resting and them not. And again, you know, veteran group. So you want to be cautious with the the minutes and the workload to start. But like, it it felt like this group got off to the wrong foot. You had Trevor get injured and Talon and Kendrick. And it was like, you know, not only did they not get to play together because certain guys were resting and and, and playing in, in fewer than half the games, but it was like, then all of a sudden multiple guys get injured and, already you're, you're kind of at a disadvantage and it feels like they've never fully caught up to that. You know, we, we've never really seen the projected, I mean, we haven't seen the, because Kendrick Nunn was supposed to be the, the sixth or seventh man right. on this team and we've just never seen it. So um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I think like it's, you know, if this team was going to turn it around, they would have done it. And, and I, I don't even think like the expectations are like, I don't expect them to win 10 games in a row, but I expect you to beat the Houston Rockets. Like, I, I don't think that is a a crazy expectation. And they've had so many of these lows that are just inexplicable. And I, I think at some point too, it's just like, maybe this team just isn't that good. Like may, maybe the the collection of players just isn't, mm-hmm. because I, and, and I know Anthony Davis, like I do think there is something too, like this team was built around three stars and you have a bunch of vet minimum role players. And when one of those stars is out, you are now asking a vet minimum role player to do something that he probably can't do. And, and I, I think there is something to that, but still LeBron Russ and, and this supporting cast should be enough to beat the lowly Houston Rockets. And the, the fact that they couldn't do that and not play with the level of desperation that I don't think they played with in that game or didn't play with consistently enough in that game. Uh, that's just disappointing. And and yeah, I mean, I, I do think it seems like the team has somewhat mentally checked out and it, you know, I mean, you could probably have said that for, for several weeks now. So, you know, just, I, I just yeah. would also say, I think it speaks to the, what you're saying that the team is very good and you know, how much these, you know, vet minimum guys haven't worked out when you, I mean, I'm looking at this, your projected rotation right now. You know, one of your starters is an undrafted rookie who was on a two-way contract when this roster was first put together. Um, that's Austin Reeves, obviously. The other is Malik Monk, who I think we kind of viewed as a guy who was like, you know, could make a difference, but probably on the outside of the rotation looking in, coming into the year. I think I, personally, I probably undervalued like what his athleticism and like young legs and just sort of, you know, spirit could do for this group uh, that was otherwise so old. Um, you know, he's been obviously a, Tremendous addition and find. Um, and then you have Stanley Johnson in, in, in the rotation and Avery Bradley. Avery Bradley also wasn't on this team at the beginning of the season. So the guys they went out and got in the summer that aren't in your rotation, Trevor Ariza, Kent Bazemore, Wayne Ellington. I mean, Kendrick Nunn due to health. DeAndre Jordan's not on the team anymore. Um, the, you know, the Lakers got a lot of credit for the way they built out this roster and, and the way they utilized their minimums. And like those guys have not panned out. And I, you know, I don't know how much of that goes on the front, the front office. Like, I mean, should they have known? I mean, you know, people around the league say, well, we knew Trevor Ariza was washed up, washed up three years ago. Um, So, or two years ago, whatever. But like, it does become a question of, you know, did the Lakers just, were they, did they suffer bad luck that, you know, they got guys who couldn't, you know, ended up not being able to contribute. I mean, Kent Bazemore, was terrible in Portland two years ago. Um, they they traded him to Sacramento. I mean, for, funny enough, for Trevor Ariza. But um, you know, Ken Bazemore had a little bit of a resurgence last year with Golden State. But you know, he'd been on a steep decline 
you know, prior to that. Um, DeAndre Jordan, you know, didn't play for the Nets last year. He's the Lakers opening night starting center. Dwight Howard didn't have nearly the impact in Philadelphia that he had with the Lakers. So some of this, you know, I guess is a little unexpected considering I think we gave the front office some credit for, you know, making the best of what free agency, what was left for them in free agency. But I don't know. I hate to, I hate to beat a dead horse, but it just goes back to, you know, they put themselves in this position with a Russell, with a trade for Russell Westbrook that never made sense in the first place. So it's like, oh, I think you did really good in, in free agency, you know, with what you had to work with because you've got Russell Westbrook. And it's like, why do you have Russell Westbrook? Why did you do this to yourselves? And it's, so it really is self-inflicted. And I went back actually and was reading um, a column I wrote last year after the Lakers lost in the first round of Phoenix. And I made the case for the Lakers to break up that team and said, you know, you can't run back this group. And there were a lot of problems with that team and it did need to be, it did need to have some, some changes made. And, you know, there wasn't cohesion or a real, you know, collective spirit with that team. Um, but it was more talented and it had, you know, it fought more, it had more, um, had more energy. And I just, I just can't get the, this pendulum, this idea of a pendulum out of my head when it comes to the way the Lakers build rosters, you know, one thing goes wrong or they have, you know, whatever, whatever issue plagues them one year, they swing wildly the other way to the opposite extreme and basically forego the things that actually made them successful despite their flaws. So with the title team, you know, they got rid of the older guys, um, went and got some, some younger guys who were less experienced, but were maybe going to be less, um, less of a locker room fit. And then, you know, that team has injuries. I mean, that team, you know, Rob Polinka said at the end of last year that he felt like they had a championship roster. And I'm not sure he was wrong. Like that team stays healthy, especially knowing what we know about how the rest of the West played out. He might be right. The Lakers might've won a championship with that group in spite of its flaws. You can't say that this year. Like there's just no world where Rob Polinka can sit, you know, at, up at, at, at do a press conference at the end of the season and say, well, we had injuries, but, you know, I believe we had a championship roster. Like, he'll have, like, rotten vegetables thrown at him if he tries to say that this time. It's just not true. And, you know, you know, best intentions, of course, like, he felt that way going into the year. But this roster is not nearly as good as the one that they built last year. And the one they had last year wasn't nearly as good as the one they had, you know, that won a championship two years ago. And this gets into the bigger picture conversation that we keep having about, about what are the – how much of LeBron's – window or, or prime or you know time with the lakers can realistically be looked at as a championship window because he's getting older he's had more injuries um you know he's playing through knee pain now i mean he's still producing at an outrageous rate but you know this is non-scientific but he got blocked at the rim three times the other night i don't know if i can remember lebron getting blocked at the rim three times in a season you know that's just it just really doesn't happen um and you know, he obviously doesn't have the same lift due to his knee, but you're going to see more things like that. Is my point? You've completely hamstrung yourself with the Russell Westbrook contract. You're going to get out of it in one in some form this summer. There's just no way he comes back. The people I've talked to have have talked about it like it's already done. So you know whether that's taking on someone else's bad money, or you know, I mean, like I mean, you could always trade him into the Thunder's cap space, but you are you are really but you're giving up you know assets to make that happen. You are. Um, profoundly limited on your ability to improve this team going forward because you took the, the Russell Westbrook gamble. So to me, it just is, um, it's just hard to envision this team being a top of the West contender next year or, you know, two years. 
And or, or even if you say, okay, the next year is going to be a transition year because they got to figure out how to come off the rust deal, all that. Fine. So you kick the can down the road to 23, 24. I mean, Jovan, you'll be old enough to drive by then. Uh, and LeBron's going to be 40. And we just don't and we don't know what he looks like at 40. I mean, he might be, probably will be the greatest 40-year-old NBA player ever. Um, but is that enough to keep putting these shitty teams on his shoulder and, and, and carry them to the finals like he was doing a decade earlier? That seems like a really big ask. Um, and, and, and same with, you know, Anthony Davis, Anthony Davis has basically lost two seasons of this five-year max extension he signed with injuries. Um, how much more of this contract is going to be defined by injuries? Um, it just, it just is a, a bleak outlook. And it, it's like, when, so when you say, oh, they took the trade for Russell Westbrook and this team's not very good. Well, what did that trade define? Did it define a season? Or did it define the entire final chapter of LeBron's career? You know that. And and by the way, like I'll even say it. Does it define you know Jeannie Buss's you know run as at the top of the Lakers? I mean, is she going to be defined by LeBron? Like getting LeBron obviously is the biggest thing to happen to the Lakers since uh, Dr. Buss passed away in 2013. Um, you know, it, it does seem to be the defining um, kind of acquisition of and that 2020 championship that defining moment in in genie's um you know i don't want to say her ownership she's always been a you know a part owner but like you know in since she's been the the president and governor of the team and does her commitment and her loyalty to rob palinka also define that and how will we view that in 20 years you know does do the lakers weather this storm and come out of it stronger and 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 as a championship team or you know does it send the organization down a different path it just it just feels like we are at a you know, without being too dramatic, but maybe I've already passed that and have continued on down the highway. Uh, you know, it just seems like this is a a mammoth crossroads for the organization and, and what the future is going to look like. And it will, when, we, when the history of the Lakers is written, you know, we will go back to the mo- the decision to sign Russ- or trade for Russell Westbrook the same way we look back at the coin flip with Chicago for the the pick that became Magic Johnson or the or the trade with the, the Hornets for Kobe Bryant. You know, historically, those sort of, you know, moments, those those historical crossroads lead to championships. And this one is leading to despair. I'm not really sure how to follow that up. <laughs> um, the, there's a lot there's a lot to unpack there. I mean, I, I would say, like, yeah, I, I don't know what next year's roster looks like. I, I don't know what the ideal, like, I, I think there's, like, the question of what, what are you looking for in the rush trade? Like, I, I guess you are just trying to get the best. I mean, you're just trying to dump him and, and maybe that's John wall. Maybe that's uh, like, I, I'm almost wondering if, if they're kind of better off almost doing a reverse rush trade where they kind of get several role players back. And it's just like, um, you know, several guys who like, you know, and the thing that sucks is you're not getting an out, you know, and, and I lump Alex in, he wasn't technically in the trade, but like he was collateral damage for the rest trade of, of taking on the extra money. That was part of the reason why they didn't resign him. So like, you're not getting an Alex Caruso, you're not getting a KCP. I don't think you're getting a Kyle Kuzma. So like you're getting worse versions of those guys back in, in, in a trade. But I, I think, I think the Lakers have, have stumbled onto something here with, like this second chapter or third chapter, however you want to define it, uh, 
of the LeBron AD partnership is they have to go smaller. They have to go faster. They have to go athletic and it's AD and LeBron at center. And you need some, some size and athleticism in the front court. I, I think Le- you need some LeBron better and AD, Why they joined the athletic. <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't think LeBron is going to be joining the athletic. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, like, I, I guess that's like the one thing is I, I, I do look at, okay, so you're going to have Austin, you're going to have Taylin, you're going to have Kendrick, uh, unless they flip him, and then you're going to get whatever you have in, in the Rust deal. And I think Malik's probably gone. I, I don't think they're going to be able to afford him. Well, I mean, I, they can't afford him, uh, you know, unless he takes a massive discount. So, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, you're that in a really tough to a spot. different conversation for a different day, but, you know, is. Is he better than than the mid level exception that they're gonna? Is, is there enough money on the market for somebody to offer him ten million dollars a year? I mean, that, that I would have to, you know, that'd be a deep dive on on just everyone's cap space. But yeah, I mean, I, I think you, you use that on him. Like, I, I would try to keep him as you know badly as they can. But yeah, I mean, I, I I do wonder like what the the next, how does this team bounce back from this? Yeah. I would guess that next year's team is better. I I, th- I think it's gonna be hard to be worse than this, but it's possible. Like, I mean, you don't know. That's assuming health for LeBron and AD. Yeah. And, and that's no guarantee. Here's a thought about, about building this roster. And like you said, trading Russ for other players. If there's one thing that's become clear that has hamstrung the Lakers in their ability to improve the team is by not having tradable contracts. You know, they don't have the middle class of NBA contracts. They have, you know, super max deals and then they have minimums. And that's why like Taylor Horton Tucker was such an important player for them at the day at the deadline because they needed to be able to trade that contract if they were going to do anything. And same with Kendrick Nunn, you know, but those players didn't have any value. And so if they were to do something like take on, you know, an Evan Fournier contract or something like that, that was a name that was around like Evan Fournier, by the way, can play a little bit. But, you know, if, if you look at that as, oh, my gosh, we need to get him off the books because we really need our cap space in 2023, you can trade him. And that's something that like the Lakers in their like tunnel vision of keeping cap space open for 2023, I think forgot. Same with signing Alex Caruso, by the way. If you signed Alex Caruso and you're taking the tax on and it's not working and God, you're paying him $10 million a year, you can trade him. And I feel like that there is almost like, and again, I despite like the degrees to which I've criticized him, I still am very very aware that Rob Polinka understands the business of the NBA much better than I ever will. But I feel like there is a blind spot with his Lakers front office when it comes to thinking additional steps down the road. Like they might be playing chess, right? Instead of checkers, but they're still focused on what the next move is. And I don't feel like they are as focused. They're they're focused on the next move and they're focused on checkmate. And I feel like they lose sight of the moves that will take them from the next move to checkmate. And so they they have a little bit of a um, a little bit of a tunnel vision when it comes to that, and so I agree with you. Like I'd probably rather trade Russ for pieces, and you know try those pieces out, and if they don't work, then you flip them again, trade them again. There is no untradeable contract in the NBA. Um, there is, I mean, <laughs> um, there are relatively few untradeable contracts in the NBA. I just think that um, you know the Lakers need to break out of this mold. And I, by the way, I was told that around the trade deadline that the Lakers were less um, 
committed to preserving cap space for 2023 for the first time. It was kind of the first time when they made efforts to improve the team and weren't just completely locked in on having it be money that was going to come off the books in 2023 aligning with LeBron's free agency. So maybe they are already on that path. They just had nothing to trade. (laughs) I I mean, the Lakers, I mean, the Lakers would have made a move at the deadline. I think that Knicks deal would have happened if, if Toronto and New York hadn't gotten hung up on draft compensation. That's part of where the criticism of Rob, you know, not making a move, I think is a little over the top, a little overdone um, because they were gung ho. They were in. It just was that, you know, other other parties pulled out. And Rob said on the, you know, on the day of the trade deadline, we can't make other teams trade with us. Um, but again, what's the next move? Then? Some of it's the, the, the body healed situation, though, which I, I think definitely hurt their perception around the league. Yep. That's absolutely part of it. I mean, I think there are teams that are less willing to deal with the Lakers because of that. A really interesting. What if that we, we kind of forget um, that you and I reported out last year, the Kyle Lowry trade like that. <laughs> I mean, just, you know, at the time we were like, is that a little bit too much? Like, like no. in retrospect, it's like Kyle Lowry would have been everything they want. Like, and different players, but from a fit perspective, so much better. I mean, like just a better player than Russ, but also a much better fit than Russ. Yeah. And, and would have given them that third legitimate star. And yes, you're giving up KCP, you're giving up Taylor you're giving up a pick, but I think they would have been better, you know, suited to, to make a run last season. And they certainly would have been in a better position this season because you would have been, you would have already had Kyle, and and his contract was a bit of an issue of, of you know how much money he wanted and stuff and, and I could see why the, the Lakers would have been a, a bit hesitant but I would much rather have Kyle Lowry as my third star than than Russell Westbrook and um, you know again already having him on the roster and, and kind of seeing that sample size of how he fits uh, you know he's a guy you know really tough player really good playmaker really good three point shooter you know good defender like it's just he would have, I think, been the ideal type of realistic third star to put around LeBron and AD. And um, that is like one of those what ifs now that I think at the time already looked bad, but then you see the subsequent moves of, of how things played out and them eventually going for a worse version of him in, in Russell Westbrook and, and all that they had to get up, uh, give up. You know, they gave up more for Russ than they would have had to for Kyle Lowry. So, well, talk about the terrible talent evaluation of Dennis Schroeder. I mean, you're willing yeah. to give Dennis Schroeder a four-year, you know, max for him uh, contract extension, and yeah, I mean, listen, him not taking it is its own thing. But you want to give Dennis Schroeder that contract extension. You let him go in free agency, and I, I still think, like, I mean, listen, bring him back on the on the, for the mid level. Like, he, he I, a healthy Dennis Schroeder is better, I think, than a health than a healthy Kendrick Nunn. Um, and I, like I reported, he was willing to talk about coming back on that kind of deal after the market dried up for him in the, in, in free agency. But okay, you let Dennis Schroeder go. Boston takes a look at him. They're like, oh, I don't really like you. We're sending you to Houston. He goes to Houston. He comes off the bench in Houston and you know played okay against the Lakers the other night. You know made a difference. They don't think they don't think they don't win that game without him. But like he is not a starting cap. He's not a starting point guard in the NBA. That is what we've learned over the last two years. And the Lakers were ready to pay him like a starting point guard and commit to him as their starting point guard, um, which is which is kind of crazy. But yeah, to your point, they should just trade him to Toronto. So, Yovan, listen, uh, Lakers, Wizards, um, folks probably be listening to this after that. So I'm just going to go ahead now and direct them to your story <laughs> that will be up on Saturday about about the about the 
the former Lakers coming in and and walloping the Lakers um, (laughs) at at, at the crypt. Um, All right. So for TikTok's Jovan Buha, I'm Bill Oram. Thank you for listening to the Forum Club. We will be back next week, I guess. We'll be back sometime. Uh, We can kind of do these as our schedule allows and um, as the news dictates it. So interesting times, ongoing, interesting times. We'll be back. Thank you for reading The Athletic. Thank you for supporting uh, quality sports writing and for listening to the Forum Club. Talk to you soon. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.